0: Tonight, is sneaky Patrick Brown involved in yet another real estate scandal? We think so. It's Thursday, August 11th, 2022. I'm David Menzies, and this is The Ezra Levent Show. you for freedom! Shame on you, you
1: censorious bug!
0: There's a nice house on Main Street in Brampton, Ontario, not far from Brampton City Hall. From the outside, it's not all that exceptional. Inside, however, well, that's a different story. As well, this house has a very interesting real estate transaction sales history. In fact, some aspects regarding the various transactions just don't seem to add up. Other things associated with this house seem downright suspicious in nature, Oh, did I forget to mention that the house once belonged to the current mayor of Brampton? That would be Patrick Brown. Yes, that same infamous individual who is never far removed from shenanigans and scandal. He who bears the nickname, The Sneaky One. In any event, our tale begins some five years ago when this particular Main Street property was purchased by the Capel family, for just over 850,000 in January 2017, the patriarch of the family, Dave Capel, he runs an insurance and financial services company in Brampton, and he is allegedly a very good friend of Patrick Brown. Now, after owning the house for some two and a half years, the Capel family sold the property on June 27, 2019. The buyers were Patrick Brown and his wife, Genevieve Golateri, and the price was $1.272 million. However, the actual closing date wasn't until some six months later, which is very interesting. As well, a source who is quite familiar with the recent history of this home informed Rebel News that during that six-month period, Approximately $750,000 in upgrades was completed to the interior of this house. I'll tell you, judging by a listing video that shows the home's interior, it looks downright palatial. Here, check it out.
2: this home has over 4200 square feet of finished living space it has four plus one bedrooms five bathrooms and an additional 400 square feet carriage house that can be used as a gym studio or even a home office
0: now i've got to admit that is one gorgeous interior everything from the pantry to the fifteen thousand dollar refrigerator it's all custom stuff the sheer opulence is enough to make martha stewart blush Indeed, it is fascinating to see what a reno job costing three-quarters of a million dollars will do to a home's interior. But Brown and his wife consider themselves to be the Cal and Khaleesi of Brampton, so it is only fitting that such Peel Region royalty lounge in such a palatial estate. But the thing is, Patrick Brown and his wife only lived there for a very short period of time. That's because... Two months ago, June 16th to be exact, his warship sold the house for $2.225 million. And interestingly, it was sold to a numbered company, namely 2795224 Ontario Limited. Please note that the selling price in June compared to just three years ago was almost double. That was certainly not due to a GTA real estate market that is currently in decline. Rather, this significant markup was surely due to the six figures worth of renovations that went into those interior upgrades. But the question arises, who exactly paid for those upgrades? Well, knock me down with a feather, our source tells us that it was none other than the Capel family. Yes, the former owners of the home. But why would they do that? Why would the Capels sink some 750 grand into a home that they were vacating? Now, here's where things get really interesting, folks. Allegedly, in appreciation of paying for those awesome upgrades, the Capels received the Personal Protective Equipment, PPE, contract for the city of Brampton. That contract is said to be worth about a million dollars, which, of course, more than pays for those renovations. And we've been told, allegedly, a $1 million check was sent to a numbered company to a post office box located in Ottawa. Does that seem weird to you? Why the secrecy? Is, Is this how you'd expect any municipality to do business? Sending a seven-figure check to a numbered company based in another city. Oh, and the contract was untendered too. Hmm. By the way, if you're experiencing a feeling of deja vu right now regarding Patrick Brown and a fishy real estate transaction, little wonder. That's because Brown was involved in similar shenanigans back in 2017 when he was the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario. This time, the house was a $2.3 million waterfront property in Brown's then home riding of Simcoe North. Rumors abounded as to how he came up with the down payment of $375,000. Now, at first, Brown said he amassed the funds by cashing in his aeroplan miles and selling his stake in a pub in Barrie that he co-owned called Hooligans. No, seriously, folks, Hooligans. But Brown, being Brown, he would later change a story, saying that it was his family that loaned him the dough. Uh, but that wasn't true either, because it turns out that Brown received a loan of three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars from Jazz Johal, the very same Jazz Johal who was acclaimed as the PC candidate for Brampton North in November 2016, and was allegedly promised the position of Minister of Sport should the brown pcs form government in june 2018 but it was a moot point because a funny thing happened on the way to election day in 2018 which is to say the pc party in january of that year staged a palace coup in which brown was forced to walk the plank check out the video
1: hey, let's just look. Ladies and gentlemen, a couple hours ago, I learned about troubling allegations about my conduct and character, and I'm here tonight to address them. First, I want to say these allegations are false, categorically untrue, every one of them. I will defend myself as hard as I can, with all means at my disposal. It's never okay, it's never okay for anyone to feel they've been a victim of sexual harassment or feel threatened in any way. Let me make this clear. A safe and respectful society is what we expect and deserve, and no one appreciates that more than I do. I've got two younger sisters who are my best friends. I've grown up in a a family that has taught me good values. My values and beliefs are those that we need to move forward to eradicate sexual violence and harassment across the province across the country everywhere i know the court of public opinion moves fast i've instructed my attorneys to ensure that these allegations are addressed where they should be in the court of law in short i reject these accusations in the strongest possible terms it's not my values it's not how i raised it's not who i am
3: what allegations? Mr. Brown, are you kidding more liars. Who are
1: these women that are <laughs> making allegations against you?
0: Wow, Brown's Game of Thrones, Cersei walk of shame, never fails to entertain and amuse, wouldn't you say, folks? The man who was just five months away from being a chauffeur-driven premier ends up fleeing Queen's Park in a salt-stained minivan as persona non grata. (laughs) Poor baby. But even though Brown was gone, there was still that little matter of the Simcoe property. And what do you know, later on in 2018, after an investigation by the Provincial Integrity Commissioner, It was found that Brown failed to disclose rental income from his personal residence and also failed to disclose that he received a loan from that would-be minister, Jazz Johal. Indeed, Wake's report found that Brown used the loan to help pay for that $2.3 million waterfront property. It wasn't Aeroplan Miles or money from hooligans or a loan from family members. Nope. It was indeed Jazz Joe Hall coughing up the dough, allegedly in return for Joe Hall being appointed as the PC candidate in Brampton North. Isn't it amazing how things work in Patrick Brown's world? But then again, they don't call Patrick Brown the sneaky one for nothing, do they? So getting back to his most recent real estate monkey business, we sought answers. We sent out emails to Mayor Brown. Brown's chief of staff, that would be Babu Nagalingam, and the city of Brampton's chief administrative officer, that would be Paul Morrison. Our questions were as follows. One, what is the name of the person behind the numbered company that bought Mayor Brown's house 60 days before the last municipal election? Two, who did the luxury upgrades to the house and how much was spent? Three, Were the renovations done by the Capel family, who Mayor Brown purchased the house from, or was it the numbered company Mayor Brown sold it to? And was the sale related to any City of Brampton contracts? And four, what is the name of the person behind the numbered company that was awarded the City of Brampton PPE contract? I understand a check for approximately $1 million was sent to that particular numbered company, to a post office box in Ottawa, is this indeed correct? And folks, here's the response we received from the Media Relations Department for the City of Brampton, quote, in response to questions one to three, the city does not comment on such matters. With regards to question four, please file a freedom of information request, end quote. So much for transparency. Oh, and by the way, we will indeed file an FOI. As for Dave Capel, to this date, we have yet to receive a response from him. Our take? Sneaky Patrick Brown runs Brampton as his own personal fiefdom these days. There is no longer a City of Brampton integrity commissioner, Brown's personal friend, Maniza Sheik. She was recently fired. And even though we hand delivered a dossier with all of this information to the city's CAO, Mr. Morrison, he hasn't even acknowledged receipt of our package. Enough is enough. The real estate transaction and the awarding of Brampton's Uber secretive PPE contract stinks like the proverbial dead skunk in the middle of the road. And since this increasingly dysfunctional city clearly cannot govern itself, it is now high time for law enforcement to get involved. So how about it, OPP and RCMP? Are you going to carry out your sworn duties? Folks, it's been something to see these last several weeks, hasn't it? Over in the Netherlands, the government declaring war on their own farmers. Oh, yeah. It's all about uh, the nitrogen content of fertilizer and whatnot. And it's going to mean higher prices for the farmers. It's going to mean higher prices for consumers when they buy their groceries. It's also going to mean um, some of the farmers. Are going to go out of business. And we're talking about multi-generational farms. It is an absolute disgrace. And uh, of course, because it is such a catastrophe, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is uh, carbon copying the plan for Canadian farmers in the uh, road uh, ahead. Absolutely despicable. Well, you also know that we've had Louis Brackpool and Lincoln Jay go over to the Netherlands, to cover this protest by the Dutch farmers, something you don't see on the mainstream media. And I'm happy to tell you that Lewis Brackpool is joining me now to get us up to date and tell us about a brand new documentary uh, produced by Rebel that will be coming out shortly. Hey, Lewis, uh, how you doing today, my friend?
3: Yeah, I'm well, it's good to see you. Thank you very much for having me
0: on. Well, it is always a pleasure. Now, Louis, you and Lincoln, uh, but especially you—you've spent a lot of time uh, in uh, the Netherlands. Um, when you talk to the, you know, men and women on the street, when you talk to the farmers themselves, um, what do they make of this? Because I always thought, in terms of politics, no matter where in the world you are, if you're a government and you declare war on the farmers you are gonna lose big time. It's almost like declaring war on the veterans. These are third rail topics. They're no go zones. So why is this government pursuing this in the first place?
3: It's a great question. I mean, from what I've gathered from speaking to the farmers uh, myself, they're even saying the same thing. I mean, they've picked the wrong group is, mm-hmm. is what one of them said. Um, Honestly, it's unbelievable to see Mark Root's government and, of course, the World Economic Forum technically, too, um, with this overarching uh, green policies that they're implementing upon the, the farmers, which inevitably is going to affect the Netherlands as a whole. And we're going to be seeing it in other countries such as Canada. Ireland, And we've seen what's happened in Sri Lanka when they've implemented these types of policies, reducing fertilizer usage uh, and many other things. But the main cause of concern as well is actually seizing of the farmlands in the Netherlands to potentially build houses on top, according to the farmers, which... Is very counterproductive if this is supposed to be a, a green policy. <laughs> you know, let's uh, let's reduce to net zero, but then we're going to take your land and then build on top of it. It just doesn't make sense.
0: <laughs> it, it, it doesn't make sense. And let's address, uh, Lewis, the hypocrisy afoot here. I mean, you see, you mentioned the World Economic Forum. Increasingly, uh, they're telling us to eat bugs. For whatever reason, they're also um, revisiting an idea they floated in 2016, which went down to defeat, but I guess they're going to give it another shot of people giving up their personal automobiles. So eating bugs, uh, getting rid of the car. And yet, I can't help but think, uh, Louis, do you think uh, Klaus Schwab? is going to be having a cricket sandwich and riding his bicycle uh, as opposed to being driven in a uh, limousine driven uh, 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 limo to to the next meeting. I mean, I'm tongue tied because the hypocrisy here is just outrageous. I say when the likes of Klaus Schwab and all the WEF directors lead by example, yeah, then maybe I'll look into having a bugger three and uh, putting the car up for sale. What say you, my friend?
3: Well, yeah, I think you're completely right. And even if if they do lead by example, I don't think I could stoop to the level of eating bugs personally. <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's just not on my menu. But um, it's weird, isn't it? You're seeing this not just only in the Netherlands, but you're seeing it in Canada, you're seeing it in Britain as well, and you're seeing it in Ireland and Australia and many other countries as well. So it seems to be uh, part of the playbook. Now, that's weird in itself, when you've got different countries with different uh, governments and supposedly different political standpoints, but all parroting the same message and pushing through the same agenda. You're, um, there's a lot of questions that need answering with that, and I think that's why we like to ask, ask these questions a lot uh, with regards to the World Economic Forum. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're going to I think a lot of people are now starting to wake up and realise what's going on and actually starting to ask the right questions when not only with not only the World Economic Forum, but of course their own government and what they're trying to implement. You mentioned about fuel as well and and, and reduction of that. It's the same thing happening in Britain Mm -hmm. when Boris Johnson was was here as prime minister before he resigned. He announced that um, by 2030 the classic year that we keep hearing about yes they want yeah. to uh, completely eradicate uh, petrol and diesel and transition into electric cars uh, and that's why 50% of tax here in britain of uh, of fuel is is implemented by the government um you know they could easily reduce that at any point uh, to help of course motorists but they don't do that because they want to see people transition into this new era this great reset that Klaus Schwab keeps echoing
0: yeah, you know, there's always that date, 2030, uh, for some reason. And by the way, speaking of dates, I've uh, urged uh, our viewers, Lewis, to, if they can, uh, dig up the 1973 film, Soylent Green, um, which I'm not going to give out any spoilers, but which also deals with a incredible food replacement, uh, something that would make an insect look like a piece of filet mignon. And it is set, actually, in 2022, the year we're living in, and it is eerily, prescient. So, um, you know, please, if you can check out that movie, uh, it'll make your spine tingle. Uh, by the way, speaking when it comes to Bugs lose what is the rule with vegans and vegetarians? Are they allowed to eat bugs? Because I know they're living things technically. But on the other hand, they're the creatures that eat up all their veggies when they're being grown. Do we have a do we have a referee's ruling on whether or not bugs can make it onto the menu of vegans and vegetarians?
3: <laughs> well, you know, I think that's a good idea for a next video I think. Uh, asking, <laughs> uh, asking people asking vegans and vegetarians whether eating bugs is uh, is humane and it's okay or you can compare it with uh, eating an animal and of course eating a, a bug where do they stand with it. But you know if if a vegan's going to turn around and say, you know, you've got to stop eating meat and implement their ideas on other people it's it's not my concern if someone wants to change their diet but it's the implementation on others right. Um so You have to be consistent with that so surely uh bugs is off the menu for them (laughs)
0: okay then but you know getting back to business uh as i alluded to earlier uh lewis we have a new documentary i believe uh kian simone uh, k2 as he's known around the office here uh he was one of the forces behind this documentary um what is it going to reveal to our audience my friend
3: Yeah, so it's a documentary called um, uh, The Buddha, a Dutch farmer rebellion, and it follows the history of this rebellion that we're seeing currently. And the story isn't over, uh, essentially. So there's no it's it's one big cliffhanger, really, because we don't know how this is going to end and how this is going to resolve. But it started back in 2019 with animal rights activists storming a, a particular farm, which spawned then a counter protest. Uh, an organisation known as the Farmer's Defence Force, uh, who didn't want this to be uh, published to to the media in a negative light. And then the same year, Mark Root and his government declared a nitrogen emissions emergency, uh, which meant they needed to slash livestock by 50% and, of course, cap emissions for this nitrogen, or stickstoff, as they call it over in in, in, uh, the Netherlands. And it's basically the timeline and understanding what it means, what's happened, and what's happening, including our reports for, for when me, uh, myself, sorry, and Lincoln Jay were out in the Netherlands to cover uh, this rebellion. And currently, as we stand, uh, tensions are still extremely high in the Netherlands, and there has been no resolution so far. We know that uh, organizations have gotten together, and um, there's been no resolution from the government side. They're wow. just not. And like um, like the farmers have stated, I think they've picked the wrong group.
0: Oh, I, I think so, too. Uh, but at the end of the day, Lewis, I don't know if there's been any... Um polling of the public in the Netherlands in terms of the government's policies, which I personally think have nothing to do with saving the planet uh, mm. and getting their targets in line for 2030 and has everything to do with virtue signaling. They're they're pretending that uh, reducing uh, fertilizer levels and whatnot um, is, is for our collective benefit when there's really no science to prove that So going back to the feeling of the public at large, Mm. what support does this government have for these incredibly ridiculous policies?
3: Well, that's a great question. I know there was a poll conducted and we know polls. Okay, they're very unreliable. They couldn't predict Trump. They couldn't predict Brexit. So take it with a pinch of salt, of course, but a poll was conducted where it showed that 85% of the people in the Netherlands actually support the farmers. So that's great news if that poll is very reliable. The problem is there's there's a a big minority of, of people who are, of course, taking action and demonstrating and showing their support actively. But there's of course still a, a number of vast amount of people who are still either sitting on the fence or just don't want to get involved and unfortunately that is coming from the city so it is the city people that kind of need to step up in my opinion to uh, to show their support if they're really serious about if they want food on the table essentially
0: <laughs> yeah you know what that's a great point lewis i mean you know and city people i'm sure when they go to their supermarket Uh, I I guess they have this feeling that it just magically appears on the shelves. uh, There's not a growing process and a harvesting process. And of course, truckers to get it to market. Uh, If this government has its way and those supermarket shelves go empty, uh, that's going to be a real come to Jesus moment uh, for the uh, city people of the Netherlands. Uh, Lewis, uh, thank you again for your time. I think you and Lincoln have been doing absolutely superb work uh, covering what's happening in the Netherlands. And I, I think I speak for our entire audience when I say we can hardly wait to see this documentary. So you keep at it, my friend.
3: Thank you very much. And you can watch the documentary over at pharma And of course, I briefly returned to the Netherlands to, uh, to check out or scope out the situation uh, in the Netherlands. Because as I, as I keep saying that the, um, the tensions are extremely high uh, over there and we don't know what's going to happen. Mm. We just really don't. So I went over there to scope it out and you can see all the reports coming up on farmerrebellion.com So that's farmerdocumentary.com for the documentary. And of course the reports on the ground uh, journalism is farmerrebellion.com And once again, David, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: My pleasure, Lewis. You have a wonderful weekend, my friend.
3: You too. Thank you.
0: And that was Lewis Brackpool in London, England. Keep it here, folks. More of the Ezra Levent show to come right after this. Well, folks, as per usual, lots of response to Ezra's show of last night. G. Williamson, 61, writes, We need smaller government, fiscally accountable government, that will gear their budget to taxes collected. One that will focus on balancing a budget and taking away government barriers instead of creating more. Time for a federal overhaul. Oh, I agree. It's kind of funny, isn't it? The only time the Justin Trudeau Liberals morphed into fiscal conservatives was back in 2016 when they gave convicted terrorist and murderer omar Khadr a ten point five million dollar paycheck essentially for hurt feelings their excuse for this folks was that to go through the court system for years and years it would cost tens and tens of millions better to pay off our homegrown al-qaeda terrorists uh, in the here and now at a deep discount what a disgrace these Trudeau Liberals are. And F Torres, 59, he writes, this happens when you have a PM that is more concerned with his own image than improving the lives of Canadian citizens. And I think that was in regard, folks, to the fact that Canada, on the world's happiest nations list, it has slipped from fifth overall to fifteenth. Yeah, we've gone down ten spots since the Trudeau Liberals took over. Gosh, I wonder why that is actually I don't have to wonder I have the reasons. But it would take me another half hour (laughs) to recite them all. And unfortunately, we're all out of time. Well, folks, thank you so much for tuning in to the Ezra event show. I will also be filling in for Ezra on Friday, the big boss man will be back on Monday, I can assure you, Uh, it's all about important business the boss is up to. In the meantime, thanks for tuning in. And as always,
3: Stay sane. This is Lewis Brightfield for Rebel News. And today I'm at a dairy farm in between The Hague and Rotterdam, where I'm catching up with a farmer who has been doing this for generations now and has been passed down to him for generations too. Now, the current situation in the Netherlands is as follows. The government is still overarching on the farmers, in regards to the nitrogen emissions cap and, of course, halving livestock and fertilizer usage. This is to combat, of course, climate change, uh, as they say, and the farmers are still not happy with this current scenario. There has been roundtable meetings between the farmer and and the government. However, no resolution has occurred. So I'm here at a farm to catch up with a, a dairy farmer and to get his Side of the story.
2: Yes, uh, we have here uh, a dairy farm from about 180 cows. Um, I am the fifth generation. Uh, we live here in 20 kilometers from Rotterdam. Uh, it's a very uh, busy place, but we have a farm here and everything is going great only now we are from october 2019 busy with stick stuff and it happens now that the government says we must 50 percent reduce Mm. so from my 180 cows i must put 90 cows away yeah for what i don't know
3: yeah Uh, there's talk of uh the idea of it being to combat climate change. <laughs> what are your comments on, on, on phrases such as that? Uh, is, it, is it to do with that or do you think it's something else? No, I
2: think not uh, because uh, Netherlands is a very small place with a lot of people, about uh, eighteen million. So, we think about the farming, we uh, own uh, two-thirds about the land in this, uh, in NMLS, so uh, they must uh, build new houses, new mm-hmm. ways, everything must grow, mm-hmm. uh, because they m- must grow with the people. Mm-hmm. So they need the land of the farmers.
3: Yeah. There's uh, the city people, <laughs> if you can say that, um, say that if the, the farmers give up their land to the state, that they should go vegan or, or something like that what do you say to comments like uh, like that
2: i hope not because <laughs> the stupid uh, plan uh, they go vegan okay but um, it's all well reset here uh, they want to go the farmers go away and you never must start a new farm never mm. so that's uh, that's not good mm. and a lot of farmers uh, are very, very uh, angry about it. So the government, uh, in in the beginning, the government thinking, well, it's not a problem. The farmers go away. We mm-hmm. take the land and uh, we do our thing. But yeah. now uh, we are in a new uh, father. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are so angry, we don't stop. Mm. This is the beginning, this is the beginning. We are very
3: angry. With regards to the nitrogen emissions plan from, uh, from the government, is this, do you really think it's all to do with cutting emissions uh, and you know their idea of uh, cl- climate change and everything like that? Uh, what's, what is your view on the actual uh, situation?
2: Uh, I think uh, my view is that they want meat uh, the land from the farmers we are the, the, we have the most land of Netherlands, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of people, about 80 million people, mm-hmm. and um, we want to grow more people, more people, and no land. So they need the land from the farmers. That's the cheapest way, mm-hmm. and they want to start building, uh, start building, uh, and make new roads and everything about that. But no farming. Mm-hmm. They say we don't need it. Yeah. Uh Netherlands is a big place with export. Mm-hmm. Uh, All we are great in that, but uh, the government don't interest that, um, so we think that's also, uh, um, that's also a thing they say, if we have enough for our own, mm-hmm. that's, that's good, but yeah. not for exports.
3: What do you say to farmers in places like Canada, Ireland? and other farmers that could see these policies go overseas and uh, and happen to them. What would be your comments to them?
2: Um, what I think, Netherlands is a little place with a lot of farmers, so it's difficult to uh, see uh, how it's going in Canada, but there's, that it, they have also their problems. Mm-hmm. But um, I think a lot of people think we don't want to uh, stay here. The younger people, the younger farmers, they want to go. They want to go to other places, to Canada, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. If they want to go farming, not in them. Mm-hmm.
3: So. And uh, final question: If the farmers' demands are not met, what do you think happens next?
2: I don't know. I don't know. It's a difficult question. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I think it is a long time before it happens to um go the farmers from the land but, uh, it can be five years ten years yeah but the plan still the uh, stays I think it's it's a long states uh, to get to get our farmers oh, ground. Yeah. I think it's maybe generations but they want it.